Well, hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast. I hope this finds you well. Now, we've had some fascinating guests on the podcast recently. I hope you're enjoying listening to it. Don't forget that you can get in touch with me to let me know what you think of the podcast, or you can suggest some new guests or topic ideas, or you can just email in to say hi by emailing podcast at newgroundchurches.org. Also, if you're not currently a subscriber, remember to hit that subscribe button so that you automatically get sent new episodes as they get released. It's lovely to see how our audience is slowly growing with more and more people regularly engaging and actually engaging from across the world, which is quite astonishing to me. Uh, recording here in my shed in the, the, the sleepy shire town of Seaford in the south of England, it's lovely to connect with people all across the globe with people joining us just in the past month. People downloading from over 30 nations, which is astonishing. Nations including the UK, the US, the Netherlands, Germany, France, India, Italy, Nigeria, the UAE, Australia, Brazil. If you're listening in from one of those locations, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you're finding these conversations helpful and inspiring. Uh, why not say hi? Get in touch. Email us. Let us know where you're listening from. Well, now for today's episode, I had a conversation with a friend of mine called Jake Goodison. Jake is a product designer, which is basically an architect in miniature and a consultant. And I've had lots of conversations with him over the time that I've known him and thought it'd be great to capture some of his thoughts on tape for us, particularly since he's recently self-published a book on design that he's called God's Sketchbook, a link to which can be found in the episode notes. He's got some very provocative and stimulating things to say, particularly about vocation and the call on every Christian to partner with God properly in their workplace. I hope you enjoy the episode, and I think some of the facts and insights that he shares about creation alone will give you plenty of fuel for worship. Enjoy. Great to have you on the podcast. I'm looking forward to our time together. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into product design, um, and anything else that you think is of relevance? Um, yeah, well, I've, I've never really not designed. I sort of um, was born a designer in the sense of, you know, if you show me something and say, what's wrong with this? I'll give you 10 things that are wrong with it. And then um, my mind starts thinking about different ways to change it. Um, but I, I suppose I'd been a designer for about, I'd say, uh, 10 years um, before I started looking in my garden and, and in natural places and just looking at it and saying that design is like 10 times better than anything I've ever come up with and then connecting that with my faith which I've, I've also been a, a believer since uh, say the age of 21 and um, and just thinking okay God designed all of these things and it seems to be consistent like we have um laws in physics when you have a law of something that's consistency so the god who had infinite possibility in the beginning of creation to create anything he would he would like in any kind of way chose to create in consistency well that reveals a very opinionated designer and then um, and so my mind started thinking okay well i i i have to um, design in the areas of form function material choice manufacture all of these things that I have to deal with. Um, and so I start to think, okay, well, 
all of this consistency, does God have a design methodology? And, you know, what is it? You know, every, I'm, I'm engaging companies now and I can't keep my mouth shut about Jesus designing. So the first thing I say to them is, right, I'm a Christian. And they say, well, they kind of look at me like, why is that relevant to you designing like, you know, this thing for us? And I'm like, because all of the design methodologies that I'm going to, in, um, going to be uh, pursuing are ones that have come from God. And here's the thing about it. So as an atheist, when you look at something, you're tuned to think about that thing as an isolated um, item because everything came into being by chance. So it's very difficult for you to look at the universe and see, see a, a central being which ties it all together because it's against your worldview. Um, but I, as a Christian, can be consistent in saying that everything's tied together in a design methodology. Mm. There is actually the, the intentionality of the creator that knitted everything together so that it works beautifully and perfectly. That's it. So God will put something into an, an environment and, um, it, and it will adapt to its environment. So everything that we design, I'll design like a lamp or something, and then it will go into various different houses or, you know, I'll design a car and it'll be in various different countries and it'll be the same. Whereas the way that God designs something is he designs it in seed form. And then as it grows, it, it adapts to its environment. So that's why it's able to exist much more successfully in its environment because it's adapted to it. And um, it will be slightly different in different areas. I think your your book, by the way, and it's self-published, we should tell people how to get it because I think you are a beautiful writer. And I love some of the phraseologies that, you know, phrases, phraseology, phrases that you use and metaphors, things like God is found in the beetle as well as in the Bible. I think it's that kind of re-enchanting the created world again. You know, we have been so conditioned to think of it in terms of, quote, natural and even just calling it nature. We had a conversation with Andy Bannister uh, about this that's uh, just recently come out on the podcast. And it's one of the points that he makes there that this is creation. It's not nature. And I think that's important. What you're doing, I think, in this book is really helpful because you're kind of making much of God's common grace in the world, seeing that everything um, can teach us and points points to God and can teach us things about the mind and heart of God, which is um, really fascinating and beautiful. And we'll come on to some of the, the specific illustrations that you use that I think are amazing. Romans one twenty, you know, it says um, um, creation speaks of God's character. So... In, in essence, you know, I just finished a book by um, Andrew Wilson, who's uh, I know is your friend, um, which is the God of all things. And he does a great job of, of elaborating on some of these things that God has created and kind of, um, you know, looking into what it might reveal about the creator. So that really is this is a is a central theme it, it, is the highest function of everything that's been created is to reveal the character and ways of the God of creation, you know. Um, so when you look at a bird, it's not just, uh, got, you know, it's not just designed to walk, to fly, to eat. It's actually designed to reveal, I'd say, Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Like when Jesus says, look at the birds, you know, they, they, they neither sow nor reap, but your father feeds them. So, so, um, my, my kind of highest, um, call, if you like, is to design things that are not just solving problems, but also revealing a facet of God's nature. So that's that's the intention now is to try and start aligning things as nature is, you know, the seas, the, the seas and, and the birds and the and the trees, they uh, they reveal 
things about God. So um, I want to design things and I want other people to be designing things, his, his sons and daughters, um, to reveal that nature, like physical theology, if you like. Mm, that's beautiful. And you, you, I don't know if this is still your system, but you talk about the prophetic aesthetic functionality and the materials that go into products. Yeah. You said all of those together reveal things about God's design. Can you talk us through some of that? Um, well, there, there are different facets of everything that has been designed, even everything that's been humanly designed. So you have to deal with. So, for example, I mean, maybe one of the most interesting is the prophetic. So um, every art and design movement follows a philosophical shift. So if you look at uh, modernism, so the idea that we can progress, you know, humanism, so we, we can progress as humans. We can go forward, we can create things that will improve our lives, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what the design movement out of that is called the modernist design movement. And that's manifested as clean lines and everything brought down to being functional so that we can progress. You know, So you've got uh, square block buildings, you've got um, door handles were previously ornate. Now they become functional and be able to be mass produced so that we can all progress towards this human utopia. And then you come out of um, two world wars and people are saying, well, that failed. So now let's abandon the idea of truth. Let's abandon the idea of progression. And you've got the postmodernist, the postmodernist um, philosophical movement, which we're kind of moving, I think, to the end stages of now. And what came out of that is, OK, whatever deconstructs um, progression, whatever deconstructs truth most effectively is what we're going to design so we'll make buildings like mushrooms and you know <laughs> post boxes that don't open and just whatever weirdness comes out of that so the same thing so that's the prophetic if you like i'm calling it the prophetic i really kind of mean the prophetic forward slash philosophical or ideological backdrop to everything to something that's been designed you know if i'm a designer and i make the same choice a billion times you can assume that i have a strong opinion about that choice well, the way that God creates in nature means that the, the spiral on a snail, snail shell is mathematically the same as the spiral on a galaxy. So that's the consistency of the design in, in nature that God has created. And so that's his choice for the design of the planet. And then when you look at it, you think, okay, so you've got, um, how does he design systems? By the way, everything that he does is the opposite way that we've been doing. So I mean, I'm, this, this, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm reeling from the snail galaxy link thing. That's just, I mean, I, I would, I would like to hear more about that and other illustrations like that because this is just that's mind blowing. Say that, say that fact again. <laughs> okay, so the spiral on a snail shell is mathematically the same as the as the spiral on a galaxy. And mathematically, it's, it's, the, it's related to the golden ratios. It's golden ratio spiral. This is divine geometry. Okay, so talk to us about that, those who are not familiar with golden ratio. Okay. Yeah, so the golden ratio is um, 1 over 1.6 approximately, and it's found in the flight path of a hawk. It's found in um, the, the construction of a pine cone. It's found in the um, measurements of the Ark of the Covenant and the measurements of Noah's Ark. So... If you, if you divide the, I think it's the height and the width, but it's 30 over 50, you get 1.6 approximately. And same with the arc. There's one, I think it's two, uh, but one of the measurement, two of the measurements in the, in the report, proportionally, the arc is the same. 
So it's the same God who creates it. And it, not even that, like, so this is one of the principles of design that God uses. So he builds on a framework of geometry. So when I sit down, I sit down and I'll, <clears throat> I'll sketch something freehand, right? Well, God doesn't seem to do that. He builds on this framework, which is why you get um, the Fibonacci, something like the, called the Fibonacci sequence, which manifests in, in flower petals. So you'll only find one, three, five, seven, nine. You'll only find that this sequence of flower petals anywhere in the world because um, God's created it that way. So you, can't, you don't get six flower petals on a flower? No. Not, not to my knowledge. Wow. So God, so the point is, and, and it's everywhere. I mean, this is like God's, God's signature. It, it, this, um, this divine geometry. And, and it's actually, it's quite interesting because when you have debates with an atheist, you know, you start bringing out all this stuff and saying, well, look at, you know, look at the divine geometry, look at the golden ratio, which is everywhere um, through nature and even in scripture. And, because of that, because it's so precise and it so looks like it's been so well designed, that's why you get um, theories like the multiverse. So basically an atheist will turn around and say, okay, well, there's a, such a small probability that, that this universe has been created in that way, which looks so deliberate, that there must be a billion universes and we just happen to sit in the, the lucky one, if you like, which is, of, of course, absurd. But that response gives you an indication of how much intelligent design we have and how much indication of quite clearly a structured designer. But what that manifests in trying to imitate him, um, which is worship, because you're declaring his worth by choosing his ways, um, is that we start to use software that, um, that can build things on a framework of geometry. So, you know, instead of being random in my placement of things, I start to use Fibonacci sequence the same way as God does. And there's reasons for that functionally. For example, um, if you want to pack the, the most amount of seeds into a cylinder, so if you look at a, a, a sunflower, the Fibonacci sequence spiral, which is created, is the most efficient packing of those seeds. So... But it's incredible because it's not just there, it's everywhere else as well. But it just happens to be the most efficient packing of the seeds. It's just phenomenal. <laughs> it's, it's remarkable. And I think because we've, we've, for so long, we've, we've just thought, well, this is just the way things are. And we've been, so I, I read your book and I said to you, I think this is an antidote to Attenborough because we're, <laughs> we're so used to just, we're just being fed explanations of things through the lens of atheistic natural selection. Um, we, it actually robs God of the glory. It certainly robs me as a Christian of a lot of worship. But it, what it does is it detaches me from the created world because yeah. I I am in position of you know, master over the world and we do whatever we want with it and it, you know whatever. And we need to be reminded, as our last podcast was all about, this is a gift that we need to steward carefully. But I think that's a product of like that humanist thought of we can master things, we can conquer things. Um, I was interested in what you said about the the way that different artistic movements as well have created with different um, meanings behind them a lot of people wouldn't be familiar with that the modernist movement straight lines functionality or some so some other ones that come to mind yeah so the arts and crafts movement was all about and um, that was previous to the modernist movement and it was all about um, craftsmanship 
So it came out of a lot of the writing of a guy called John Ruskin, um, which was all about, you know, being around, centered around the person, centered around the craftsman. So what came out of that is a value for intricacy, um, but it's very difficult to replicate. So it became very pricey. So you had massive value for, say, one item on your shelf, which was this beautifully intricate um, clock, but you couldn't afford, you know, anything else. You know, so the way I put it is that every object has a religion because it's formed in thought. So the thing that separates your modernist door handle from your arts and crafts um, chimney is ideology. Design is a very powerful tool because it stands as a massive preach. So you, you have the Nazis, for example, were planning the Third Reich to have lots of, you know, they spent a lot of time thinking about what the architecture of the Third Reich would be because it's trying to represent this ideology that they're trying to push. And it's very difficult to get away from because you're walking down the street and you're seeing it everywhere. And it's subliminally causing you to act in certain ways, causing you to have certain values. And it disciples you. So this is what one of the things that I talk about is like discipleship by design. A good example is roads. So you're driving a certain direction. Why don't you go off into the field and go up to that beautiful thing over there? Because they didn't build a road. So they're discipling you to go in a certain direction. So everything physical is physically stopping you. And it's the first language that you learn as a baby. You know, you come out of the womb and you walk into a wall and it hurts. I'd be impressed if you can walk you know? straight away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 but you, you know what I mean? Like, they don't have mm. language. They just know that they have to navigate the physical universe first. So it is preconditioning you as soon as you come out of the womb. And, um, and the amazing thing is that nature is representing god's ideology it's representing the ideology of the king of the universe say more about that that's a really interesting idea yeah so his methodologies say a lot about him i guess it's quite funny because if you look in your garden you you already know everything i'm saying so you've been looking you've been walking around forests you know your whole life so you already everything i'm about to say is obvious but it's never really been thought about to be tried to be copied from what i can see so for example, one of the overriding one or overarching one is systems. So 78 million tons of, of plastic waste. Um, we produce that per year and only 14% is recycled and only 10% retains its original integrity. So, you know, 40% is thrown into um, landfill. And that's because we have as 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 industries of the world we generally have a linear waste system so our sin our, our waste system is linear so we design products we don't really think about where they're going to go it's just for profit so you draw it out of the ground in um, resources you design the thing goes to the house and then nobody really thinks about it you just chuck it into landfill so you can imagine from the start of drawing it out of the ground to going back into the ground it's a linear system if you look at how God's designed a forest, it's a cyclical system. So the fruit from the, from the tree drops to the ground, it degrades into the ground, and then it feeds the roots of the tree. And that's happening through animals passing through it, dying, going into the nutrients of the ground, coming up to fruit, the animals eat the fruit. Everything's a cyclical system. We don't have any trees piled up like being a problem because they're not degrading. And we don't have any problem. And also, a, 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 there's a lot of throughput in a forest. So, you know, we've been told the whole time, reduce, re, you know, reduce what you're using. 
Well, that's not the philosophy which you which God employs in a forest. There's tons and tons and tons and tons of throughput happening per day. But because it's in a cyclical loop, there's no waste, there's no problem. It's positive, it feeds the environment. And so um, that speaks, I believe, of, a, of Jehovah Jireh, you know, the God who provides, the God who provides from a fruitful into the ground, he'll provide for the roots. He's created these, these um, ecosystems, which are not just sustainable, but they're, they add to life. People, people are rewilding areas just by introducing wildlife into it, and it's adding to life. So this is like redemptive. It's a redemptive design methodology, which speaks of the Redeemer. So all of this is, so that's, that's the, the kind of systems element. If we just had that, by the way, we wouldn't have plastic in the oceans. You know, we wouldn't have all of these environmental issues that people are crying out about. And that's the questions that the world is asking. And we have the answers. I sit down with the creator of the known and unknown universe every morning. I was chatting to him before, this, before we started this, this conversation. And he's created everything that, that's around us, all of these systems. And, and we have the ability to talk directly to him. So, you know, we have a res responsibility, not just for creation care in the sense of going out there and recycling and doing the things that the world is doing, but actually being the head and not the tail. Yeah, and I guess at the, at the beginning, mankind was created as a representative of God in partnership with God given the commission to rule on behalf of God. And so you can imagine mm. that the original creator's intention for the human race was that we would steward the earth in constant correspondence with the creator and learning about his methods and his way of being. Almost the garden was the nursery for Adam before he went out into the world to do what he'd seen in the garden in the rest of the world. Um, yeah, so the first thing that a man connected to God was told to do was to take care of creation. You know, so I think... We have a lot of focus on getting into the kingdom. And then we kind of, when you're in there, it's like, okay, what do I do? <laughs> you know, and, um, and I think a good reference point is, is, is go take, you know, go and take care of creation. Yeah. You know, cause that's the, that's the first thing that God said to Adam. He said, go and be a, you know, go and garden, go and learn about my systems. Go and, and part of the wisdom that was given to Solomon, it says in the Bible was knowledge of birds and frogs and trees and all of these things. Um, and I think it's about, I'm excited because certain things have come together in church history that haven't been there before, um, which is allowing us to now, uh, it's such an Esther moment for this, this type of thing. What happened in the, I think it goes back to the Reformation and throwing the baby out with the bathwater a little bit. So what you have to have to design like God, to create like God, um, is you have to have value for the prophetic because you need to talk to him. You know, so you need to delve into um, that relationship and come out with the kind of revelations that Noah got, the kind of revelations that David got for the temple, the kind of revelations that Moses got for the tabernacle. That's what we're going for, where God starts a project. And what I say in the book is it actually God, God with man designs backwards. He starts with a lot of revelation and then you've got to figure out how to implement it as opposed to starting with a problem and figuring out how to and coming to the solution at the end um so we need the prophetic um prophetic connection with god and um i think that we've had a, a greater value for that 
over the last, say, 50 years. But let's just stop there. So the prophetic, before we move on to the physical, you're absolutely right. There's, so what you're saying is, and at the moment we're talking, uh, you know, your your industry, product design, talking about how you're acting on the world. But actually this could be applied to every human being. Every Christian needs to be thinking through their workplace um, and it begins, what you're saying is, it begins with a partnership with God where actually you as a follower of Christ take seriously what that means to have a relationship with the creator of the known and the unknown universe, that you cultivate yeah. a friendship with him whereby you're becoming familiar with his ways and his voice so that he speaks to you and then you're able to act imperfectly, of course, but as a friend of God in the world. That's what I think is a it's a great kind of opening gambit, opening point of how every Christian should think about their activity in the world. So I just wanted to underline that by restating it because I think it's really helpful. Yeah, I mean, we read, um, you know, like all of these precise revelations for, um, you know, how to create things and how to do things in the Old Testament. And then we kind of say, right, well, that was for that time. God spoke that, that specifically back then. But we, we have to remember that the veil was torn this side of the cross. We have uninterrupted relationship with God that, that they never had before Christ. So we should expect that and some. I, I say one thing I say in the book is that if you're betting on two engineers, right? So one engineer might have, and you can replace this with accountant or, you know, whatever profession. One person might have 10 years of experience in, in that field. They might have done, you know, that thing um, so I'm saying betting on two people to achieve something first, right? One person might have masses of experience in achieving that thing, might have done it many times, and the other person is connected in resources, relationship, and um, revelation with the creator of that thing. <laughs> you know, the creator of everything. Which one are you going to bet on to, to do that thing first, to do that thing better, to solve that problem um, best? Well, it'd be silly to bet against the person who's who's allied with the creator of the universe. But that's what we are. Do we really believe that? It's sobering, isn't it, though? It's sobering reality that we need to take more seriously and act more conscientiously as Christians. Because you're not saying study of the, the kind of natural revelation of God, study it through the you know, sciences or stuff isn't important. It's not like saying this is the matrix, we can just get plugged in and get instant downloads onto how to fly things. Is that that is there's not God's normal way of operating. There is a Well God didn't operate that way with Noah. He gave him part of it and then he you know he didn't go into the details of how to construct certain things. And he could have he could have just manifested the whole thing. You know, he could have just said, right here it goes. I'm just going to throw you a boat. But he didn't. Yes, yeah, recognising that God wants to partner with us is perhaps a good way of putting this. But what I also love is you think there's a common grace at work in the world whereby, whereby God does this, so not just with Christians, but actually with humanity in general at times. There are some lovely illustrations that you gave of people receiving answers to design problems prophetically, mystically. Can you share a couple of them? Because I thought that just blew my mind. Yeah, so... Um, so i mean god loves us you know and um and uh, there's there's various instances in history whereby people have designed i'd say with god or god's inspired them um either in the way that they're working so the methodology or also receiving what i would call a tap on the shoulder from god you know from the divine so um one poignant example is uh elias howes uh, the invention of the sewing machine so Elias Howe 
um, was trying to invent a, a sewing machine and um, and he was failing. He had like, you know, like the kind of classic James Dyson thousand prototype things. And um, and so one night he was he was kind of racking his brain about this and he fell asleep. And um, and he had a dream. And the dream was that a tribal chief came to him and said, if you don't solve the problem with the sewing machine, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and it was like a cannibal tribe in his dream. They were like coming at him with all kinds of spears and, and, um, and knives and stuff. And he, so in this dream, he had to relive all of his prototypes, go through every single one of his prototypes and try and get to the solution. And he failed in the dream. And they came to, to kill him and they came to, and they were kind of going at him with these spears. Anyway, so he woke up and he, he like you know, floods of sweats, as you imagine. And he looks back in the dream and he sees that the spear of the tribe, the tribe that, we, that they were using had a hole in the tip. And he realized that if he put a hole in the tip of his, of his, um, of the needle, that he could create the lock stitch. So it's really weird. And it, but then you look in the Bible and it's weird. You know, you look at the dream, dreams of Joseph and, and, um, and, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and all, all these examples and they're weird. So you, you kind of expect that, but it's not just that. I mean, you look at um, Mendeleev's periodic table. So the periodic table that you learn in school was given to Mendeleev in a dream. So he was trying to establish a, an effective method of, of creating the periodic table. And he, he had no, no hope. He went to bed and literally before his eyes, these things were arranging themselves into the periodic table. Another cool one is the Einstein's theory of relativity, which is obviously the most famous you know, scientific discovery that nobody really knows what it means. Um, but I mean, the, equally, the dream was, was super weird. So he, he had a dream whereby cows were, were, um, were gathering around an electric fence. And then they started to um, like kind of arrange himself in a wave and the wave related to the formula he was trying to solve so i don't know i mean yes i would say that that god's been inspiring you know as you say common grace you know he the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous and all of that but like you said it comes from he loves us and he wants to partner with us and even a hostile um, humanity hostile to him sometimes he will because of his desire to partner with humanity will sometimes bend his own rules just <laughs> to help us out a bit and give us a tap on the shoulder which is beautiful of of the lord yeah i mean i think um so where i've kind of entered um this study um that's been the sort of end of the thinking on god and invention do you know what I mean? So the way people have been thinking about God and invention and the way people have been writing about it is that, you know, you should just expect God to tap you on the shoulder and give you a revelation. And so we've kind of, as the body of Christ, been waiting for those instances and not even really pursuing it or trying to integrate it in any kind of creative methodology, you know. So, but what, I, what I'm trying to kind of add to that is... Um, is what the word of God is to our lives, if you like. So you've got in, in, our, in, the, in, a, in our daily lives, we have the word and the spirit, right? So you have the word of God, which is the defined, you know, this is God's character. This is the way he moves. This is the way you should expect him to move. And this is what you, you know, the general principles which he uses. And then you have the prophetic, which is the day-to-day -day tap on the shoulder, the kind of like, okay, do it this way, do it that way. And, 
you know, all of the revelation that, that comes from there. And what we've had thus far in, in creation, in our own creative projects, is just the spirit. We've just had the kind of these sort of stories of how of, in the Bible, maybe, and, and what we expect of God just dropping a revelation to us in our sleep. But what I'm trying to say is, actually, the creative word is almost is the word of God to design. I mean, the, 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 uh, the created world, sorry, is the word of God to design. That's, that's his kind of modus operandi. That's the way that he creates. And we should be drawing from that and from this bucket. And together, uh, really only those that are connected with God can really create like him and with him as we were intended. So you're saying, let me just let me draw the truth out. So you're saying that just as in our normal lives, we think of the relationship between the word and the spirit as being essential and different. And you're saying as a creator, as a designer, you're saying you've got the created world and divine revelation, that those two things should operate together. That almost, that's a, Augustine's again, book of nature, book of God. That if you want to understand God, you go to the book of God for definitive revelation. But actually, there's a lot you can learn from God and his world by looking at the book of nature. Yeah. And that you're saying as a designer, my project is I've got the word of God, the Bible in my hand every day. But I'm also knowing I've got the book of nature open, trying to learn from that as much as I can as well. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, the i think when we're looking at whether the climate um the climate crisis you know it might whether it's is actually a climate crisis or not it's kind of irrelevant um we shouldn't wait until there is a climate crisis by the way but those are the, what i'm saying is those are the questions that the world is asking and while simultaneously saying that we sit down with the creator we haven't yet really answered them which is a kind of strange thing right if if i have a christian friend if i'm if i'm trying to you know reduce the co2 usage because i'm thinking in the future there's going to be a climate a catastrophe and everything's going to go wrong because we're we're using the world in the wrong way and we're trying to we're trying to remedy that and then i have my christian friend over here who claims to sit down with the guy who created it and is doing not doing nothing really about it and adding nothing really to the pot that's kind of like, well, is he really sitting down with the creator? Do you know what I mean? So, so I think that we have a position now to answer. And the reason why it's so poignant is because I think we have a position now to answer the questions that the world is actually asking at the moment. And we, we can solve it with God. You know, we can, we, all we have to do is realign the rhythms of creation back to the way they were designed to be created. I just think that we have a tremendous opportunity before us. And so um, going back what I was saying about the whole, if you look back at the, the Reformation, um, a lot of good, good came out of it. But I think one thing that came out of it, which wasn't so positive, is they had all these elaborate churches and they invested in art, you know, the Catholic Church before the Reformation. Um, and they were... They were pursuing, you know, they were pursuing the um, value for the physical, if you like. Now, so a lot of that was bad. You know, you had the indulgences, you had, um, you know, pa people who were forced to pay for church projects. And, and it created a lot of beauty, though. And then I think when the Reformation came along, they said, right, there's no value in the physical. We're, we're going to kind of throw away value for beauty in the creation of our churches and all of those things, because that's just worldly. And we're going to kind of chuck that away and we'll go for a very, if you look at the churches after the Reformation, the post-Reformation churches and the churches of the Counter-Reformation, they were very simple. 
and they kind of stripped it all back to say right it's just about the spiritual life there's no real value in the in in the physical but ours is the only religion the judeo-christian religion is the only religion by which the world was intentionally created every other type of religion and i include islam in that obviously because it's judeo-christian but every every other type of religion the world was kind of created out of two giants having a fight or like really weird you know other things ours is the only religion by which somebody sat down deliberately and created it and chose to create it physically and we have we can't you know so we've got create a physical world and we are going to a physical world we are go the new creation is physical when jesus was resurrected as a prototype to our new creation bodies he was resurrected and he could eat fish you know he was he had holes that you could touch in his side he was a physical being. We're going to a physical universe. There is no point in God's plan by which we abandon the physical. So this value for um, what God has created, which is the physical universe, which is very much linked to the spiritual universe, um, I think is, is, is now coming into play um, because we're, folk, we're realizing that we've abandoned culture. So we've abandoned um, our culture kind of going off into our right. We're just dealing with the spiritual um, kingdom. We're not, we don't really want to deal with the physical or the cultural or political kingdom, kingdoms of the world, because that's not what we're supposed to be doing at the moment. And we're finding, gosh, the culture's looking pretty shaky. You know, like our, our, our political economic systems, they're looking pretty ungodly. So now we're kind of, I, I feel like from what I'm reading, that the church is kind of looking back at the culture and saying, wait a minute, you know, can we have influence in the culture? Can we actually do something about these cultural issues? Can we have a positive impact? Can we be salt? Can we be, can we be light? And creating physical things, as I've alluded to before, is a massive part of, of influencing the culture. If you look at, okay, what, what do we have left from civilizations past? We have trinkets. You go into a museum and the representation of an entire civilization is a, a case full of trinkets, a case full of things that they created, which represents their values. So it's so, it's so central to, to cultural impact and, um, and influence in culture that I think that we're turning back around and seeing, okay, you know, we need to be addressing, addressing this beautiful um, creation of the physical again. And that's not, con that's not contrary to the spiritual life. It's in a manifestation of the spiritual life. So that's, that's the kind of element of the, of the physical that's required. And then the third one is technology. I mean, simply, as I say, we haven't been able to design like God until the last 10 years. What happened in the last 10 years? So one key aspect of the way that God creates um, is he creates things in seed form. And then he plants them in their environment. So if you see two oak trees, they'll both have pretty much the same DNA in their seed. But if they're planted in two different places, they'll grow up and they'll be completely different shapes. They'll be completely different forms. And the reason why is that God has chosen to create that way so that when you put the seed in the ground, it has all the information for the tree. And then it takes in all the environmental forces, all of the, the moisture in the environment is logged. Um, where's the water where's the wind all of that stuff and that creates the form because god uses materials very frugally 
So it's the minimum use of materials to create the necessary form to pursue its task, which is a representation of the environmental forces around it, which is stressing upon it. So when I design something up to now, I've only been able to design the final item. So I'll only be able to design one tree, if you like, and I'll try and force that into different environments. Now we've got to a point in technology where we have we are cooperating with artificial intelligence. And what we can do is we can feed that artificial intelligence all kinds of environmental data where the thing's gonna where the thing we're creating is gonna sit. And that will build the shape of, of, of what we're creating. So it, we're working for, we're designing DNA as opposed to designing the final item. And that's only been able to happen in the last sort of 10 years. So what you end up with amazingly and obviously is lots of shapes that look like nature. You know, or if you look at what's in your house it's vastly more simple than what's in your garden visually. So when you look in your garden, you see plants and trees and they're very complex visually. And the reason why is that they're efficient in the use of the material. So they're using the minimum material and the forces around it are complex. So they're representing those complex forces in, um, um, with, with, uh, with the material that they're, that they're made from. Try not to be too complex, but the thing with it is that it's obvious, you know, We've been, we've been staring at trees for all of our lives. And this is why they look the way they are. This is why they're different because God is using a certain design methodology to create them. And now we can do that. So that's it. So can you give me some examples of things that we've created then in that spirit, using the artificial intelligence? Oh, um, well, we just, there's just recently been created a, um, a rocket engine in that way, which is hyper-efficient. And... Uh, well, I mean, we're just moving into it now, to be honest. But this is the design movement, actually, that, that architecture is moving into now. This is why it's, again, another reason why it's an Esther moment. Because we're moving into that kind of technology. The world is doing it. The world's trying to do everything that God's done. Because they're realizing that what they've done doesn't work. We're trying to force a, a, a square peg into a round hole. So now they're coming to the point where they're using God's material choices because they realize that no other material choices work with nature. They're using God's system. So in the last 10 years, we've been looking at something called the circular economy, which is to try and make the waste of one process, the raw materials for another, like a forest. And we've been looking at, okay, we need to use efficient use of materials. So we're going to have to design with DNA like God does. We're going to have to design it so that in that environment, it is the minimum use of material because we can't afford anymore to waste material on creating it. So we're going down by necessity to start designing like God, but what they're missing is they're missing the ability to sit down with him and talk to him. So all that's going to happen if they don't do that is that they're going to end up in a pot full of mess like we did last time. I mean, you know, I recently finished a book by Eric Metaxas called Is Atheism Dead? And in that, he, yeah, he quotes several examples of people like Isaac Newton and other kind of genius scientists from the past and he quotes from their journals showing how intimately their faith informed their practice their their science 
Um, and that was, you know, people have, people have said in the past that the reason the Western world developed the science in the way that it did is because of the God that gave birth to the thinkers um, who created and saw science in the way they did. We're at a juncture where it seems that we have, um, we're turning back to creation again and going, what can we learn from it? But we're not doing it through the same spirit of worship, but again, through the spirit of human um, necessity we're running out of materials we need to solve a problem that we've got so again it won't it won't get as far as we want it to get because we're looking and copying but we're not giving glory to we're not worshiping god as he should be yeah and we'll create the wrong things you know you can have all of the ability to create in the world but if you if you're aiming at the wrong target you know if you're creating a um incredibly efficient abortion clinics or you know whatever if you're if you're creating um very efficient guns to kill lots of civilians or you know, i'm not saying that all gun creation is wrong by the way but um you're aiming at the wrong targets in your book as well you you talk about some things that for me sound like they're bordering on science fiction but that we're at the at the stage of developing uh, looking learning from god's creation as well things to, like self-assembly and self-healing in mm. creation that we're we're then learning to mimic can yes. you what, what is that Yes. Um, so, I mean, it's all come out of the ability. Have you heard of 3D printing? Everyone kind of hears of this thing, 3D printing, which brings everyone back to like the Terminator where that. Yeah. And most people go, <laughs> great. I don't know what I'd ever want to create. <laughs> needs that. Apart from people like you who go, you show me some of the things that you've printed um, and I, that look incredible. Um, yes. Well, the thing with it is so, um, so, what this is another thing so all of these things uh, this is what i mean the last 10 years so 3d printing is the printing of something 3d in layers that's all it is but it's the same way that god uses um a paper wasp so a paper wasp creates his his nest by creating it in layers and you know it's the same it's the same principle as spider silk as a spider shoots the silk out of its um out of its um spinneret that's it and um and a bee, you know, creates the hive. So 3D printing is happening in nature. God never used the manufacturing techniques that we were using before, which were put, shove something in a mold and then get it out of the mold. You know, that or heat or get a lump of material and hack at it until we create something. God's never used those. So we've started to use the, the manufacturing methodologies that God uses. So what that does is it opens up a ton of, of ability for us to create new things like these complex forms that we create um you know in this new way so you know the kind of form you'd never be able to to manufacture a tree or the shape of a tree 10 years ago because it's too complex you can't shove a tree in a mold but you can 3d print a tree so self-assembly all of these things which is the use of of um what you're doing is you're 3d printing certain things certain materials into a structure which holds memory. So if you imagine, so it's called shape memory alloy or shape memory polymer. What you can do is you can 3D print that in and it holds certain memories about what shapes it used to be. And then you can activate those memories. So imagine if you have a, a jumper, which you wear the first time, it sets the memory of your shape. And then you wash it and it might over time become looser or, or you know, whatever. But as it comes back to your shape, the, the sweat on your body wicks it precisely to the shape that you are. 
because it remembers where it should be. And also, in that jumper, you have vents, whereby when you're hot, the vents will open because the, 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 shape, the material that's used to make the vent remembers its open position. And suddenly, if it gets too hot, will open. So Is this something we've created? Yeah, yeah, yeah. MIT Media Lab. Mate, they're awesome. Wow. Yeah, so it sounds like something it. out of Back to the Future too. We put that jacket on. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just it. This is the thing. So, like, even it will get thicker. Like in the winter, it will go thinner in the summer. When you say so, memory, though, it's not like a conscious thought. What do um, you mean? Well, I mean, I mean, it, it it physically remembers. It will return to a certain shape that you've that you've set it to in the past. Okay. It's quite, in that sense, it's got a memory. Okay, so like programming it. Yeah, pro- that's it. Programmable material is what they say. Oh, okay. Which is, I mean, think about in in um, your skin. So, well, when it's hot, your your um, your hairs rise to release heat, and when it's cold, your your um, your capillaries will move away from the skin to conserve heat. So you're a, you're an adaptive being, and what that allows us to do is to create products that adapt over their life, so that they, you don't have to chuck them away. You know, so it, it, it plays back into the circular economy thing, it, it, uh, into the circular waste systems thing. The less you have to chuck away, you know, the better for the environment that you're chucking it into, no matter what it is. So if you have a jumper which adapts to every shape, you know, that you become over your life, you don't need to keep buying jumpers. So it all plays into, it creates peace in, in our environments. It, it creates what God intended everything everything kind of um working together symbiotically and you mentioned um, obviously the, the values of 3d printing you you alluded to something in your book that i saw on youtube afterwards that we can now 3d print houses yes um because that's not just that's learning from wasps as well as you know among other things the way they built these houses talk to us about that yeah well i mean god i don't think god sees a difference between a, a tree and a flower it's just species and scale so we have these different um, divisions of architecture, product design, you know, um, and we make these, these things to say, right, a building is a completely different thing to say a consumer product. Um, but God uses exactly the same principles to form a blade of grass than he does to, to form an oak tree. Um, so 3D printing a house is pretty much the same as 3D printing a, a uh, you know, phone case. It's just scale is the only different thing. Um, so, yes, we are. I mean, but even the even the shape of the houses that they saw look different to the type of ones that we're used to living in because, again, they're learning different lessons from their environment and from the the, the way that you can three D print a house for maximum efficiency. I guess. Yeah. So what they're learning is what um, is obvious in nature, which is that cubes aren't structurally advantageous. Why did we build houses in, in cubes then? Um, because it's an ideology or is it just because, easier no no we've made it easier all right so what happened is in the modernist movement we started to um, create things in cubes because it represented simplicity and simplicity leads into progress so we ended up with cubes i mean you know there are benefits it gives a lot of space to an area um, but you have to, because they're not structurally advantageous, you have to add lots of material to make it, make it structurally stable. Um, whereas you won't really find many cubes in nature. 
you might find a few cubes in the creation of um, salt. Salt is a, at its um, microscopic level is a cube, but there's really very few because God doesn't like to use too much material. So he'll, he'll build something like a blade of grass so that it's in a, a conical shape um, so that it, it doesn't have to have a structure around it to keep it up. Have you noticed that how little material is used in a blade of grass, but how structurally, um, you know, it stands up by itself? That's because the, the geometry of it is structurally advantageous. So there's certain things that are obvious that we're kind of learning now because I think that the point is, is that we, we've always, because we haven't looked at nature as being designed, we're kind of resistant to trying to copy its design because it might lead us back into theism. You know, so if we admit that we've been constantly shouting the line for, you know, as a society that there is no God, God doesn't exist, that the world was by chance. I think there might be a bit of fear that when we start to copy nature and realize that it works, that actually it might reveal that there is an intelligent creator. So I think it's all, it's all leads back to, to that problem. But now they haven't got a choice. It's by necessity that we've stopped saying, right, I feel like I want to design a house. There's a cube. Wow. And somebody turns around and says, right, well, how much material are you using to do that? Because we're actually having to reduce the amount of material that we're using now. And then you start to say, right, we can't build it in that way because it just isn't the best way of building it. So they're, they're coming to God's creative methodologies by necessity. And yeah, that, that, that throws up lots of interesting questions like what is the difference between art and design, which I think becomes more distinguished when you're having to design efficiently. So when you're creating things which are functional, you have to do it in a very efficient way. You have, you know, God's so consistent in the way that he does it that most of what he creates is, is complex looking because it's efficient. So where does that put art? Because I want to express myself in creating something which is like wasteful, you know, beautiful. And, um, and I think that you, you end up kind of separating them even more and more to say, right, we need art. It's something that, that, is, that we require. Um, and it's a, it's a necessary tool in a culture to ask questions of the culture you know, if you see good art, it'll ask you, it'll ch ch jolt you a bit and ask you a question of, is this really what it, what this is? Or, you know, why is this, this thing? It's, it's, a, it's a, it's a mode of, of, um, of um, inquiry. Um, so we need art, but I think we need to separate that from the creation of, of functional things because we just don't have the resource to, um, to waste. We're seeing the results of it. So Wow. I mean, you asked just then, have I ever looked at the blade of grass and considered those questions of efficiency? And, and I thought, no, I haven't. I've never. But this is what you're doing. And actually, I think what your challenge is that this is what we should be doing as students of our master. If we redeem our vision of creation to see it as something God did intentionally with will and mm. purpose behind, then actually as disciples and students of the Lord, we don't just look at the book of God, but the book of nature to learn about him and his ways as well, which I think is really beautiful and a really important challenge to the church 
um, like you said, the, the counter-reformation movement that has so emphasised the inner spiritual dimension of Christianity that it is about just learning to obey Jesus' commands. Disciples obey mm. Jesus' commands. Whereas actually, no, disciples learn to obey the master and the master is also the God who gave Adam the same that commission in the garden to go and you know cultivate the earth, steward, care for it, subdue it, all of that. And it's the same God. So I think there's a really important challenges that the church needs to hear. But then also every Christian and whatever vocation or sphere they're in, industry they're in, to think carefully, conscientiously, prayerfully about what God is calling them to do and how the fact of their faith is going to uniquely help them. Whereas we've for so long separated out what I do from what I believe in this kind of fact and value split that again is a kind of post-enlightenment hangover. Um, whereas actually I think what you're saying is we need to make sure they're not just back together but we're so integrated as beings that we we bring our values, our inner life of faith in God into the real world that informs everything that we do. So I think it's a really healthy, really important challenge. Um, Jake, we are, we're running out of time because there's just so much um, in here. I love the, there's so many little throwaways that I want to go back to and re-listen. You know, objects disciple us, things like that. Brilliant. Um, that the church and pastors should learn from as well and how we conceive of and can think about our church services. But anyway, before we finish, what, um, what else is in your heart or mind that you just want to share with us maybe as a challenge or as encouragement before we mm. conclude? Yes. Um, primarily, God needs to be worshipped in this way. That's, if nothing else, he needs to be worshipped in, in his entirety. And God is primarily praised in heaven for being the creator of the universe. If you read through scriptures, he is worthy for he has created all things. Mm. You know, so... Well, it's interesting. Sorry, I'll, I'll come back. I'll let you carry on the thought. But as you said, it reminds me just reading Mike Reeves's book on the fear of God. And he says in scripture, the fear of God, like the awe and wonder at who God is, is both about creation, but then also about the cross. And I think it's the, the wisdom of God in creation, the wisdom of God in, in redemption. And I think in our churches, we're very good at singing songs about the wisdom of God and redemption and the, the marvel of the cross. We never want to undermine that. But I think, you know, as you're alluding to and going to carry on in your answer when I stop interrupting you, is actually the wisdom of God in creation really needs to be recovered. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I just see that this is a massive area. You know, when you talk to somebody who doesn't know God, you almost get kind of jolted out of like knowing him as father to talk about him as creator. Because that's their question is like, is he creator? That's their first question. Their second question is then, you know, okay, is he good? Is he, is he father? But we don't really, in our, in, our, in our day to day, we encounter him as father, but we don't really pursue him as creator. And, um, and I don't think, in honesty, I don't think, and because we've been limited by technology as well, but also because of these theological kind of dynamics that we've had, I don't think as a church we've ever moved into properly worshipping him as creator, but all of heaven is. So primarily, I think um, we need a new awareness of, of the intricacies of God as, and the magnificent of God, magnificence of God as creator. Um, so that's, that's probably what I'd, I'd leave it with, which I think is relevant to anyone, whether you're a creator yourself or everyone's creative. Everyone has to create something. Um, but I think that's relevant to everyone that he needs to be worshipped in this way. Beautiful. Well, I uh, I love your 
mind and the way that you see the world and think about the world and really commend all that you're pursuing and really looking forward to hearing and seeing all that God's going to use you to do and create. Um, thanks for your time today, Jake.